0: Really sad news, over the weekend, Friends star Matthew Perry passed away at the age of 54. And this one really hit me hard because I am a huge Friends fan, number one, but Matthew Perry had worked really hard to overcome so much. And he really wanted to use his experience with that to help other people. And so we're going to talk a little bit about Matthew Perry, friends, and the things that he has overcome. Hi, I'm Julie Barrett, and you're listening to the Women's Plaining Podcast, where we talk about one of the hot conservative topics of the day. I'm also the founder of Conservative Ladies of America, which began in Washington State as Conservative Ladies of Washington. We are an organization of like-minded ladies and gentlemen who are working hard to encourage, empower, educate, and equip citizens to stand up, speak up and take real action to create change in your local community your state and even at a national level you can learn more about how you could get involved and the work that we do by heading over to our website conservativeladiesofamerica.com and i've got my own website and the washington website linked in the show notes if you'd like to head over there and explore those as well well, it's kind of a sad, sobering show today, uh, but I really felt compelled to talk about this today because I am a huge Friends fan. I am a huge Matthew Perry fan, and I have, over the last couple of years, especially, but kind of over the the last decade, I have really struggled myself with anxiety and sometimes pretty severe anxiety and panic attacks. And in some cases, it's been really debilitating for me where I have not really been able to function uh, at uh, even a normal level, even close to a normal level. And one of the ways that I cope with anxiety is watching friends. I find that being able to laugh, having something lighthearted, Uh, really has been therapeutic for me and so there have been days when I will just put on friends reruns and just watch um, until I feel better Uh, the laughter really is good kind of having that escape is good but there's a lot of proven effects of laughter being healing and being a stress reliever I also even sometimes if I'm you know having anxiety in the evening at bedtime, I have been known, and I know you're not supposed to do this, but I have been known to have friends on uh, so that I can fall asleep. And usually I or my husband will wake up a few hours later and the TV's still on and friends is still playing. Uh, but it has, it has helped me. And a couple of months ago, back in August, I was really suffering from severe anxiety. And so I was kind of binge watching friends quite a bit during that time. And one of the things that I did was I stumbled upon uh, Matthew Perry's interview on YouTube with Tom Powers, and it's about a 50-minute interview, and he talks about his book. and I knew that he had written a book. I didn't really I didn't know anything about it. I knew that I mean I knew it was about his addiction and all of that. But um, so I decided to to watch this uh, interview. And I learned a lot about Matthew Perry and really just how much he wanted to use his experience to help other people and really didn't want his legacy to be, uh, he didn't want people to have the first thing that they think about when they think about Matthew Perry be friends. He really wanted it to be that he was helping people overcome their addictions and, uh, their disease. And he started as a, I think he was 14. If you all link the, uh, interview in the notes, so you can go watch it. If you'd like to, he goes through all of the, I watched it a couple months ago, so I don't remember all the details, but I think he was about 14 when he started drinking and so he became an alcoholic at a, at a very young age and you know constantly used that as a coping mechanism and he talks about in the book and in this interview about how pretty much the entire time he was filming Friends he was either drunk or high and he could tell by watching the um the reruns of the episode during you know the different seasons what you know was it alcohol was it opiates whatever the you know thing he was on during that time and so it was very hard for him to watch these episodes of of friends he didn't really want to do that and in the interview he talks about kind of overcoming that Issue and, and and wanting to be able to watch it again because he realizes how much joy it has brought to so many people and impacted so many generations of people. In fact, I remember when friends first started I was in college and I remember on Thursday nights everybody on our floor everybody on our floor in my dorm we would get together to watch friends. And uh, Seinfeld and I, you know, that whole Thursday lineup, if you are a Gen Xer like me, you remember NBC Thursday night. So I was in college when it first came out. And then I had a few years later, I had my first child. And I remember when she was a toddler, we would watch it together. And as she grew up, she enjoyed watching the Friends reruns. My younger children like watching the Friends reruns. And so it really is one of those shows that spans uh, generations of people and has really just been such a a blessing to people. I mean, it, it is truly funny and it comes from a time. I like watching it now because it comes from a time where people could actually be funny and they didn't have to work so hard at, at offending people. And so it's really a treasure, I think. In this interview, he talks about uh, his book writing process and how this started. He started by writing in his notes app on his iPhone. And he ended up, you know, he sends that over to his agent and the agent's like, well, you need to write, you know, another 150 more pages. And so he switches over to an iPad and, uh, he talks about that, how this was a healing process for him and how he really, like, he really cared about this book so much and wanted it to be something that would help other people. And he talks about the creative side of that and this near-death experience. And I'm gonna play this clip for you. It's a little long. It's about four minutes long, but and and you know there are several different points that I want you to hear. So I'm gonna play the entire four-minute clip for you. But he talks about his near-death experience and how that impacted his family. And then he talks about how he really wants. This book and him sharing these experiences to be able to help other people, even if I just help one person, all of this will have been worth it. And
1: You, you start the book. Friends, lovers and the big, terrible thing. And the first thing you do is declare I should be dead. And then a few pages later, you ask yourself the question, why am I alive? Yeah, I'm curious if writing the memoir helped you answer that question. Yeah, definitely. Um, The reason that book's any good is I was just setting out to help people. Um, They say, I've heard, that if you're having anxiety, you have depression, one of the ways out of that is doing something creative. So I said, okay, and I started writing on my notes app in my phone. (laughs) Two thumbs and, Economical, that's the way yeah, to do it. Yeah. Eventually, but I'm faster that way than this. So I wrote about 140 pages that way over the next like 10, 12 <laughs> days, touching on all of these subjects, and then sent it out to my agent and manager. And they said, This is very good, but it needs to be 150 more pages. So I got depressed and thought, oh, I thought I was done. <laughs> and then I switched over to an iPad and I started really filling this out and making it, you know. But my goal was always, when I wanted to stop, I was like, God, oh, this is too much. It's too much. Stop. Um, I always went to, no matter, no matter how far down the scale I've gone, I'll be able to help somebody who's gone down that far too. So I kept going. And that's the only reason I kept going. What, what, what does helping other people give you in your own journey then? It is, I can't describe it. It's something spiritual. It fills your heart. You see the lights coming on for a new person who didn't understand. That guy didn't have the guy who said, it's not your fault. I said that to him. And then I saw this look of you know, this look of relief that it wasn't his fault. And we started talking in a completely different way. Um, And I get as much help from talking to 600 people as I do to one person. It gives me the juice the same amount. Um, And I think when I lay in this hospital bed for five months, I had to figure out well, first of all, I was putting on an ECMO machine. An ECMO machine does all your breathing and does all your um, heart work. It's a machine that does that. And it's what doctors and people call the Hail Mary. It never works. People put them on this machine and they die. But it, you know, it's the, it works occasionally. Um, and... Five people had an, an ECMO machine that night and the other four died and I survived. And my parents were told that I had a 2% chance of making it through the night. So I'll have to live the rest of my life knowing that my parents heard those words. And when something like that happens, you'd think you'd be filled with gratitude, yeah. right? Yeah. I'm so lucky to be alive. That's not what it is. You don't feel that way. You feel pissed. You feel pissed off. You know, it's like, why did this happen to me? And like, God, and like, I vomited into my respirator. And you talk to anybody in the medical profession and go, that guy's dead. There's no way that that guy with that combination of things survived. And as I started to get better, I started to get better. Like, you know, we were told by doctors that I was so messed up down there that they couldn't even operate for another year and a half until everything was okay enough to go back in and so i had to live my life that way with really unfortunate things happening and and you know i never thought i'd get to sit up here i never thought I'd, I mean, it's crazy that i wrote a number one bestseller you know one simple but brilliant
0: so this interview is about 11 months old. So it is pretty recent, but you can tell from what he's saying that he really wanted to use his voice, to use his fame to be help, to be able to help other people, which I think is really cool. And when I watched this video a couple months ago, I didn't really know that much about Matthew Perry besides Friends and I knew he was had gone through this addiction but I wasn't like a fangirl or anything. But after watching this video, I just had this new respect for him. And I, I actually, I meant to order the book back when I first watched this back in August, and I didn't, but I did order it today, which the book, as, as you heard in the clip, is Friends, Lovers, and the Big Terrible Thing. And I'll have a link to purchase that um, as well as a link to the interview in the show notes for you. You know, he talks about his writing as being a therapeutic process and laughter, you know, it's, it's kind of, uh, ironic how he is getting therapy through writing. And yet he has provided probably therapy through laughter for so many millions of people. You know, I don't talk publicly about my anxiety very often. Uh, It's not that I'm trying to hide it. It's just that I don't, it's not something I need to advertise on a daily basis. But if I find that sharing something might help someone else, I'm very willing and open to doing that because it is one of those things that I think we as humans struggle with, especially with everything that's going on in our world. I think it's really hard not to be anxious about things. It's really difficult to keep yourself from being anxious and depressed and concerned about everything that's going on. And so we need to be able to be open and, and uh, authentic and transparent with people so that we can help each other. And so I wanted to share this because I want, if my coping mechanism for anxiety helps another person, then, you know, I'm, I'm doing my job as well. And so just a quick little rundown of how, Laughter helps people, it stimulates your organs, and so it brings more oxygen into your lungs and your heart and your muscles. It relaxes your muscles. Um, and so if you're really tense, and for me, one of the physical uh, symptoms I get with my anxiety is I get really tense. Um, in fact, in especially in my gut, and I don't know if this happens to men too, but I know for women, um, anxiety really gets us in our gut. And if you've ever seen the Stephen King movie Langoliers, and I saw this way back in the nineties when I was pregnant with my first child and, you know, I got the VHS tape from Blockbuster. I would, I wasn't working and I would just, I was feeling so horrible. And so it was one of the movies that I binged watched back in the day. I don't really make a habit of watching too much Stephen King, but you've ever seen the movie Langoliers and they're these creatures that they eat up everything they're eating the roads and they're you know they're just like wild things they're kind of these spherical uh creatures and um they're just haphazardly moving around and I always tell my husband I'm like I have the Langoliers in my stomach uh because that's what it feels it just feels like there's these things just eating away at me and so laughter uh, relaxes your muscles. And so, if you carry that anxiety as tension in your body, uh, it's a great way to help reduce that. Um, it improves cardiac health, um, increases your heart rate, bringing more blood, more oxygen into your blood. It boosts your immune system uh, because you are able to adopt that positive mindset and you're releasing those feel good hormones. It lowers your blood pressure and it also is supposed to help with weight loss. I don't know. That's probably, I think the, the thing, the tie-in there is that it reduces your stress, therefore reducing your cortisol, which really rich is a, you know, if you have high cortisol, it's, it's difficult to lose weight. So I think that's the connection there. So I highly recommend friends as a means of reducing anxiety if you're looking for something to reduce anxiety during the interview matthew perry also talks about how before he got on the show friends he got on his knees and he says this prayer and he asked god to make him famous and if you make me famous god you can do anything that you want to me And he goes on to sort of indicate that, that God did that, you know, a few weeks after he prayed that prayer, he gets the job with friends and then he really goes really deep into his addiction. And he indicates that that was what God did after he made him famous. And, you know, I think it's really sad that people think of God as a God that does things like that. Now we do know that God will allow the enemy to do things like that i mean the whole book of job is about god allowing the enemy uh, to allowing satan to do the things that he did to job and did job still have faith in god and he did i mean what a man of faith Job was. I mean, Satan kills his family, kills his wife, and he kills his crops. And Job still he will not back down from his faith. And so I just wanted to point that out. As you know, if you go and listen to this this interview, God did not give Matthew Perry this addiction as an answer to his prayer. But we know that God will um, God will allow the enemy to do things um, and to take strongholds in people's lives. And I don't know if Matthew Perry was a Christian. I've never heard that. Um, But he, you know, he mentions later that another prayer that he had was that God would use uh, his addiction and his overcoming that and him giving him a second chance at life to help other people and uh you know he certainly has done that and i pray and i hope that through through his death more people will buy his book and and be helped i'm gonna read a little um portion from his from his book uh he said i've i've had a lot of ups and downs in my life i'm still working through it personally but the best thing about me is that if an alcoholic or drug addict comes up to me and says Will you help me? I will always say, yes, I know how to do that. I will do that for you, even if I can't always do it for myself. So I do that whenever I can in groups or one-on-one. And I've created the Perry House in Malibu, a sober living facility for men. I also wrote my play, The End of Longing, which is a personal message to the world, an exaggerated form of me as a drunk. I had something important to say to people like me and to people who love people like me. When I die, I know people will talk about friends, friends, friends. And I'm glad of that, happy I've done some solid work as an actor, as well as given people multiple chances to make fun of my struggles on the world wide web. But when I die, as far as my so-called accomplishments go, it would be nice if friends were listed far behind the things I did to try to help other people. I know it won't happen, but it would be nice.
1: I mean, it's pretty cool. Yeah, it's pretty good, man. Pretty good. (laughs) You said in the book, I, I think you have to have all your dreams come true to realize they're the wrong dreams. What, what are the? That's dreams? The, I probably stole from Jim Carrey, I guess. That's, what are the? What are the dreams now? The dreams now. The best thing about me, bar none, is if somebody comes up to me and says, "I can't stop drinking. Can you help me?" I can say yes and follow up and do it. That's the best thing. And. I've said this for a long time when I die I don't want friends to be the first thing that's mentioned I want that to be the first thing mentioned and I'm going to live the rest of my life proving that
0: so this was part of the reason I wanted to dedicate a whole episode today to Matthew Perry I wanted to share what I had learned a couple months ago and really um, pay tribute to him and what he's gone through I think Uh, that it's really sad to see people on social media uh, kind of making fun of him and, you know, that he deserved this. And, um, you know, so many people struggle with addiction of many kinds and it's not our job to make fun of them. It's it's our job to love them. And I, I just really appreciate that he really used his struggles to try to help other people. And if more of us did that, this world would be... A much better place so I'm gonna put links to the book to the interview all of that in the notes and I hope you'll go and take a little time to check it out one of the things that you know is interesting is the way that the media has been reporting this which is I shouldn't say it's interesting because they always put their weird spin on it, but he was in a hot tub when he died. And so some of the headlines say he drowned. Uh, he did have cardiac arrest. That's kind of the most reliable thing that I've found out there. He was in the hospital or he was in the hot tub. He had a heart attack and therefore he drowned. Um, so I believe that the heart attack will end up being the cause of death, but we shall see. And, uh you know, there's other questions that, that could be asked about that. But today I wanna to remember all of the great things that he he did with all of the ups and downs of his life and ways that we should all strive to live in just trying to help other people. And finally, I want to leave you with one last thing. Has any have, have you guys thought of something I can call this short little end segment? We've got to come up with a name, probably better than one last thing. Uh, so I finished my latest book that I'm reading this weekend. I finished it yesterday on Lido Key Beach in Florida. I'm so lucky. I love living in Florida. And the book is called Hide Your Children. It's by Liz Wheeler. It's about exposing the Marxists behind the attack on America's kids. I highly, highly recommend this book. It looks bigger than it is. It's only about 197 pages of reading content. And then the rest of the book, the other half of the book, are different resources that are really quite good. Uh, but what I really like about this book is she identifies the problem. She talks about the you know, Marxism and its history and in a very easy to understand way. And then she talks about the solution and she gives a number of different points of the solution and spoiler alert, um, the, the number one solution here is to protect and preserve the nuclear family, one man, one woman, married for life and their children and we have of course over the last several decades seen the erosion the complete destruction of the nuclear family and that is the marxist goal is to destroy the family and that is how That's how we beat Marxism. That's how we save America. And so I highly recommend this book. Even if you don't have kids, I recommend Hide Your Children by Liz Wheeler. I will have a link in the notes. Go order it today. Tell your friends to order it. We really need, you know, people are like, how how are we going to combat this? You know, all of the different things that are going on in our world. We need everybody to do something. Everybody has to step up and do something. Otherwise, we will lose it all. So like I said in my last episode, think about what you're passionate about And then plug into that particular issue and do something about that issue, whether it's one school board meeting a month, sending out forwarding emails to all of your friends or posting on social media, there's something that you can do. We've got to stand up, speak up, and really take action to create change in our country. So I thank you for listening. Please be sure to subscribe. I would love it if you would share the podcast and I look forward to seeing you again next time.